Take your Bibles and go to John's Gospel, chapter 13. If you would, John's Gospel, chapter 13. What an awesome month of January. We had studying together the core values of our church and the marks of authentic discipleship. And uh, man, what a great message last week by Pastor Hector. Thank you uh, for ministering to us and challenging us about our field corners. Man, I've been thinking about that a lot, okay? And I am pleased to tell you that last week our goal uh, was about $56,000, I think. And we ended up with about $68,000 committed. So that's a blessing, amen. Good job and congratulations. And so we're going to be able to do some additional things this year in missions that we weren't planning on doing, which I'm super excited about. And uh, in the meantime, we're just going to keep on serving the Lord. You can go ahead and begin uh, giving those contributions to missions right away. And it's just going to help us get to some of the extra goals that we're going to have. And so so many things going to place. I mean, church, think about this. Um, with, with just a very little outside help, okay, just very little, this church has literally today just launched a brand new church in Jacksonville. Isn't that a blessing? And that's only possible because people on the home front, this is the home front, uh, people on the home front are faithfully giving and serving. Uh, I know many of you were at the Mayport block party yesterday. I, I would imagine we had probably about 40 of our own members serving there, maybe more. And I counted at one time uh, at least 60, 50 to 60 outside people that were from Mayport that were there at one time, and then they just kind of kept coming and going, and it could have been well over 100 people that, that visited the campus, many of them planning on being at the church today. That's exciting. And then, and literally coming right up here on Easter, uh, we're going to be launching the Spanish church, which again, with very little outside funding, this church is launching a second church this spring. Somebody better say amen, okay? I'm getting super excited about this. I have no idea how this is all going to go except for it's going to go good because God's in it, okay? And, and somehow, some way, he is making a way for these things to happen from this church right here at, uh, in Merrill Road, right here in the heart of Arlington. The truth is, I can't wait to see what's going to happen in 2024. 2023 has been so exciting. It's almost like can the lid get any higher? I think it can get a lot higher. And I'm excited about what's going to come in the next couple years because we have stepped out by faith and I believe God has blessed and I believe he's going to continue to bless forward. Aren't you glad to be a part of something where we are investing in the kingdom of God? Not just, not just our little church here, but investing in multiplying churches and sending missionaries. This is what it is all about. So thank you for uh, joining me and, and faithfully uh, deciding that this is the direction. Because I couldn't do it without you. It's maybe a vision that I have, uh, but without you deciding to be a part of it, it just doesn't happen. So thank you for that. In light of that, I want to make one more comment before I get into the message today, and that is this. Starting today, you can begin to sign up for the new connection groups that are going to begin the week of Easter, okay? There's a QR code if you want to uh, go ahead and scan that. You can also on your way out on the back side of the entrance signs, it says you can sign up for a connection group there. We have nine connection group options starting uh, on Easter week. A couple of them will be here on the property. There's a senior adult connection group that will be at 9 o'clock in the morning. There's also a one connection group that's going to meet in the afternoon here at the campus. You can, see, you, can, you can scan this code and read all about that 
uh, online. Of course, then there's going to be seven different connection groups. They're going to be meeting in homes throughout the week. Uh, There's one on the west side. There's one in Mandarin. There's several here in Arlington. And basically, you can go in and you can see which connection group may be close to your house. Maybe somebody that you'd like to get to know. All the leaders are going to be there and their families. You'll be able to see them and read a little bit about them and get to know them. But this is an exciting time. So I want everybody to be a part. Our goal is to increase Uh, our uh, attendance in Bible study by 100%. So right now, we have about 40 uh, adults in Bible study on Sunday morning. We'd like to see at least 80 in Bible study by the end of 2024. Now, that's going to be really easy if everybody gets involved, okay? So I want you to get signed up starting today. It's going to go on all throughout the month of March, leading us into April. So get yourself signed up, and we'll start communicating with you about the small groups and the different connection opportunities that you have. Remember, we come here to worship. Okay, we come here to worship. That's what we're doing right now. Actually, I'm announcing right now. But anyways, we're here uh, doing that right now. But then we go out in smaller groups to develop Christ-like relationships. Everybody needs relationships in the church. If your predominant relationships are out of the church, outside of the church, you won't be in this church long. Somebody better help me right now. If your, if your predominant relationships are outside of this church, you will not be in this church long. You need Christ-like relationships in the body of Christ. You can't get it on Sunday morning, okay? We've already talked about this. But this is the way to make that happen. So all, starting now, all through the month of March, you can sign up for those. And then on Easter Sunday, we will launch the Spanish church at 1130. We will move our service time. Please, nobody get upset. We will move our service time down to 10 o'clock to accommodate the Spanish church at 11.30, and then all the groups will move to these other formats. Just a few changes coming around the corner, okay? We want you to be aware of them and be involved in all of them. All right, John chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself after that, He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter and said, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus said, uh, answered and said to him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Just imagine, just imagine the audacity to look at the son of the living God and say, you can't do that. You know, it struck me this week, and this is not part of the message, this is just free. It struck me this week as people in Christianity have been criticizing and analyzing things that have taken place these college revivals 
And if you didn't see the video that I posted um, this week on social media, I'd invite you to check it out. Because here's what I'm afraid that we have done. We have tried to tell God there's only one way you can do this. Through this kind of church and this kind of worship and this kind of way and this kind of this. Folks, i got to tell you, God is far bigger than your paradigm. And he's far bigger than any one church, one denomination, one style of worship, all that. Please, you got to understand. When we start looking at God and telling God you can't do a certain thing a certain way, all of a sudden we're trying to be Lord when he's the only one that should be the Lord. And we're just servants. And the fact of the matter is, that's the whole point of this chapter. Now, before I, before I pray and announce my text, I want to just give you a little background here. We are entering into a four-week study on John 13, 14, 15, and John 13, 14, 15, it's five weeks. <laughs> I can't count. Uh, my kids remind me that my degrees are not in math, okay? They are, they're in Bible. So 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, it's an exclusive text. The, John's the only person that covers this. It's in the upper room at the Last Supper, you see in verse 1, after supper ended, Jesus enters into this. These are, this is the final message to the disciples before Jesus dies on the cross. It's called the upper room discourse. Now, over the next several weeks, we're going to study that together, okay? And as we study it together, we're going to look at each chapter and the predominant message that comes from each chapter. Think about this, guys. Jesus is getting ready to die on the cross for our sins. It's the last moment that he has his 12 disciples together. And he is going to tell them, he's going to speak to them for five chapters. And let let, let me tell you this. The last things that Jesus wanted to tell his disciples before he died were the most important things. He was basically shoring up what he wanted them to believe and how he wanted them to live. And folks, we need to pay very close attention. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. We believe it all, okay? But, but this should be, we should be paying very close attention to these last words of Jesus to his disciples before he goes to the cross. And with that thought in mind, I want to preach to you this morning on this, this subject, stooping to a higher level. Stooping to a higher level. Let's pray. <clears throat> God... Use your word. Lord, we want to hear from you, and the only way that we can be sure we're going to hear from you is through your word. You will speak. You have spoken. And today we just bend our ear in to listen to what you have already said. And so help me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In 1971, the eyes of millions of Americans were on the Apollo 15 mission. This mission was led in part by David Scott and James Irwin, who landed on the moon and spent 18 of their 20, uh, 66 hours on the moon outside of the spacecraft. They covered over 17 miles of the surface in what was dubbed as a moon buggy. Upon returning to Earth, James Irwin was interviewed and he was asked about his experience standing on the moon. And this is what he said. As I was returning, I realized that I am not a celebrity, but a servant. 
going into outer space and seeing the vast creation that God had made humbled this man and put him in the proper perspective of what Christianity is really all about. Or I would say it like this. The mountain peak of the Christian life is the menial place of Christian service. The mountain peak of the Christian life is the menial place service. In other words, the way up is down. To live is to die. Jesus says, if you want to follow me and you want to follow my example and you want to be like me, then here's what you're going to do. You're going to be a servant just like I have been a servant to all. And in John chapter number 13, as Jesus has just finished the last supper with his disciples, he is going to enter in before he even really starts speaking this, this discourse, and, and you can look, if you have a red-letter copy of the Bible and you just flip the next few pages, nearly the entirety of the next few pages is all in red, meaning it's just the words of Jesus, it's just the discourse. But before Jesus gets into the message, he's going to give an illustration, just like all good preachers, right? Before he uh, speaks the word, he's going to give an illustration. And this illustration is something that he does to his disciples, He literally is going to get down uh, on his knees and he is going to wash the feet of his disciples. And make no mistake about it, this was not intended to be something that people literally did for the rest of their lives as if it was to be a service, so to speak, like the Lord's Supper and baptism and foot washing. He tells us very plainly in the text what is going on here, that you should follow my example. And what my example is, is being willing to stoop down and do what the lowliest of servants was willing to do for you. And you should go out into this world and perform the ministry of a servant to everyone that you come in contact with. The word servant here refers to the slave that was on the lowest level of humanity during this time. By law, the slave was classified with immobile goods, meaning you could be purchased and sold and treated uh, like a household item. He had no rights at law. He could not own property. Even his own family did not belong to him. His own children and wife uh, were the property of his master. In fact, the way that slaves were treated during this time... Uh, corresponded to the way that they viewed slaves at this time. By the way, Christianity was enormously revolutionary when it came to slaves in that day because Christianity taught that all people were worth equal dignity and value in the eyes of God. And there's much in the Bible that spoke to the treatment of these types of people uh, in the relationships that they were in. There's a whole lot of talk about this in the Bible, meaning... That Jesus never endorsed or encouraged any kind of mistreatment of humanity on any level. But here's what Jesus is doing. He's given us an illustration. These slaves in the Bible who were servants to their masters, okay, were to be a picture of what Christians are like into the culture that is around them. Now, folks, listen, it's very easy to get caught up in Christianity from a perspective of wanting to be known, wanting to be recognized, wanting a spotlight maybe to be shined upon us. But I got to tell you, that is not the picture that Jesus gives of what his people are to be like. In fact, on one occasion, the great missionary Hudson Taylor was introduced at a large conference of pastors in Melbourne, Australia. And he was introduced to everyone to welcome the illustrious guest. 
Hudson Taylor. When Hudson Taylor took the podium, he said this, I am just, an, I am just a little servant of an illustrious master. Spurgeon on one occasion was introduced by somebody with big flowery words of how great of a pastor he was and all these sort of things. Spurgeon stood up and when he began to pray, in his prayer, he said, Lord, forgive that man for saying those things about me and forgive me for liking him so much. (laughs) Obviously, we know that Christianity and ministry can produce celebrities inconsequentially, meaning Some people become well-known. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not about somebody being well-known. It's about somebody acting like they're well-known. The truth of the matter is if you want to know if you are a real servant, I'll tell you how. You will know you are a servant by how you react when someone treats you like one. When somebody says, can you do this or can you serve here or can you go there, can you take care of this? Like a servant, like we would expect us all to be. A servant in the Bible was actually a badge of honor. When you think about it, Abraham in Genesis 26, 24 was called a servant of God. Jacob in Ezekiel 28, verse 25 was called a servant of God. Caleb in Numbers chapter 14, verse 24 was called a servant of God. Joshua, Joshua chapter 24, verse 29 was called a servant of God. Isaiah chapter 20 verse 3 calls Isaiah a servant of God. Job chapter 1 verse 8, Job is called a servant of God. Moses is called a servant of God in Exodus chapter 4 verse 10. Paul is called a servant of God repeatedly including Romans chapter 1 verse 1. David is called a servant of God. Psalm 144 in verse 10. Elijah was called a servant of God. 2 Kings 9 in verse 36. Now we would look at all these men and say, these were great men. These were used men. These were extraordinary men. But I'll tell you why. They were extraordinary. They were greatly used. God did bless their lives because they were his servants. Now church, I want to tell you. The highest place you'll ever get in Christianity is to serve God and serve others. The greatest place you'll ever find yourself is when you serve God and others with no expectation for anything else. Because again, serving God is the pinnacle. In John chapter number 13, in verse, excuse me, I believe it's number 12, uh, down through verse 17, Jesus says, I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Using the foot washing, he says, here's an example of how you should live. Did you know that there's only two times in the entire Bible that Jesus directly says, you should follow my example? One of them is in 1 Peter chapter 2 when it says we should follow in his suffering. And here in John chapter number 13, it says we should follow in his servanthood. Now, folks, listen, that's hardly what we look to sign up for when we go to church and we look for ministry and we look to do God's work. Are we genuinely ready and willing to follow God in his suffering and follow God in servanthood? That is and what is the marker of being a genuine follower of Christ. So let me take this text if I could and share with you three markers of a servant of God. Three markers of a servant of God. Number one, I want you to see a real servant has an attitude of humility. A true servant has an attitude of humility. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 24, the disciple is not above his master nor the servant above his Lord. 
If we are going to be like Jesus, we're going to have to have the same attitude that Jesus had. And what an attitude of humility he displays here in John chapter number 13. We studied this last Wednesday night, Philippians chapter 2 verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of robbery, thought it not, uh, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Uh, it wasn't robbery for Jesus to be called God because he was God. And the Bible says he was willing to come from that exalted position. He was willing to come and serve us by giving his life to us on the cross. And here again, in John 13, Jesus is going to illustrate that to demonstrate to his disciples, this is what Christianity is all about, and this is what your life should be all about. Look at verse number 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart out of this world, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Watch this. And supper being ended... The devil already having put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus knowing, watch this, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. Folks, listen, Jesus understood who he was. In verse number uh, 1, it says he knew that his hour had come. In verse number 3, it says he knew. And look what he knew, folks. I'm not talking about Jesus knew just the news before it came out. Listen very carefully. What did Jesus know? Watch it here. He knew the Father had given all things into his hands. You know what Jesus knew? It's preeminent. He knew that he was above all things. Are you listening to me? From him and through him and to him are all things. He is before all things and by him all things consist. He is the one that created all things and in all things he should have the preeminence. He is the glorious and matchless son of God. That's what that means. Look at this. That he, that he, that he, that he came, that his father had given him all things in his hand. Watch this. That he had come from God. Not only did Jesus know his own preeminence, Jesus knew his own pre-existence. He came from God. He was directly sent to us from God because he was one with the Father from eternity past. Folks, Jesus did not begin at the virgin birth. In fact, Jesus had no beginning. Jesus is God, and Jesus just happened to be sent to us by God uh, when he came to give his life for us. So saying he came from God means he was already there with God from the beginning. Somebody better say amen right here. I hope I'm not losing y'all. I hope this is not too deep. I hope I'm not trolling too deep here. But, but listen, he is the preexistent, and he is the preeminent son of God. And not only that, he's the permanent son of God. Look, look at it. It says he was going to God. Not only was he from eternity past, but he's going to eternity future. Folks, listen, he's sitting there basically telling us, I am God, I am the great I am, I am the eternally existent son of the living God. And, and look, that's one thing, but, but from that knowledge that he shares with us in verse number three, the next verse says this, with that position, he's going to put a towel around his lap and he's going to fall on his knees before his disciples and he is going to wash their feet. He is going to take his position and he is literally going to set it aside in the sense of how he, uh, how he was viewing himself. He was demonstrating to them that I am the master, but I've come here for an express purpose and that includes serving you. Look at what he says. It says here in verse number one, he knew that his hour had come. 
in John 7 and John 2 and John 8, multiple times in John's gospel, he has told them, my hour has not yet come. But now in John 13 verse 1, he says, my hour is come. Now I know that John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 looks to be a long passage of scripture, but it all takes place in one setting. Now if you, if you span out to Matthew chapter 26 or Luke chapter 22, you'll see the Last Supper there and you'll see what happens right after Luke 22, Luke 23, what happens right after Matthew 26, Matthew 27, and what is occurring in Matthew 27 and Luke chapter 23, you know what it is? The crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So when Jesus says, my hour's here, what is he talking about? He's talking about, it's time. It's time for me to do what I come to do. And I wasn't ready to do that then. There was a, there was a mission. There was, there was an establishment of who I was. There was, a, there, was, there, was, there was his ministry on earth that fulfilled much of the Old Testament prophecy. But now I've come to give my life. It's time to do that. And now I'm going to get down and wash your feet because I want you to have a visual picture of what this looks like. The eternal Son of God came to this earth 2,000 years ago, robed himself in the veil of human flesh in order to die on the cross for our sins. No greater act of service, obedience, humility, and sacrifice has ever been done. And this getting down on his knees to wash his disciples' feet is just a small picture of what Jesus really came to do. And by the way, if, if that's what Jesus did to do all that for us, then I am telling you, the highest honor you could ever have in your life is to serve other people in Jesus' name because there you will be being just like him. Or you can be like Diotrephes. There's a choice. Folks, there's only two ways to do this church thing. You're either like Jesus or you're like Diotrephes. You can't have it both ways. First John chapter, uh, third John, excuse me, verse number nine. Listen very carefully. John said, I wrote into the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence, did not receive us. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds that he does, prating against us with malicious words and not content therewith. Neither does he receive us or the brethren and also forbids others that would receive us and cast them out of the church. Do you realize in the Bible, listen to me very carefully, there's only two times the word preeminence is used in the entire Bible, only twice. Once, Colossians chapter 1, verse number 18, spoken of Jesus, that in all things he might have the preeminence. The other time it's used is in... 3 John verse 9, that Diotrephes loves the preeminence. And, and folks, it just is sad. There's only one name that is preeminent, and it's Jesus. Amen. Your name don't fit that description. And so, one has the preeminence and doesn't need to seek it. It's inherent. And everybody else who wants it has to seek it because it's not inherent to them. Anybody listen to what I'm saying this morning? What I'm trying to tell you is this. There's only one person that rules this place, and that's Jesus. And it's not you. And by the way, it's not me. In any church that ever becomes about a person, in any person that comes to a church and it's all about them, you will effectively ruin that church and ruin yourself in a pursuit of preeminence, 
in a pursuit of glory, in a pursuit of being known, in a pursuit of a, a, a pat on the back, in pursuit of a building being named after you. Listen, friend, it's not about any of us. It's only about Jesus. And until our lives are about that, we will be in turmoil, we will be in conflict, and we will be deceived. Number one, a servant has a posture, an attitude of humility. Number two, a servant has a posture of ministry. How do you know a person is a servant? This is really simple, guys. You know a person is a servant because they are serving. Servant, servant is a noun. Serving is a verb. Wow, that was complicated, right? Servant is a noun. Serving is a verb. How do you know you are a servant? Well, you're serving. If you're not serving, you're not a servant. How do I know I'm a liar? I'm lying. If I'm not lying, I'm not a liar. This is real deep today. So, I mean, can I ask the question? Are you serving? Are you serving? What does that mean? It means you're willing to do anything, anywhere, anytime for anyone. That's what a servant is. Sometimes it will come in an official place of service, like a position at church or a responsibility to teach or lead music or help with children or whatever, exercising your spiritual gifts. Sometimes it's just a general attitude, a posture of being willing to serve and help people. Jesus displays both here. He displays a, an attitude to do anything without exception. Without expectation, Jesus gets down and washes his disciples' feet and, and, and we know that this is so important for his disciples to catch because of this little exchange we see between him and Peter. Peter just doesn't get it as he often did it. Verse 6, Lord, are you washing my feet? Again, remember, the whole picture of this is what he's getting ready to do in the crucifixion. And Peter doesn't quite understand the master-servant relationship yet. Jesus says, what, am I doing? what I am doing now you do not understand, but you will know after this. Speaking of his hour. Peter, you're going to understand all this in just a day. When you see me betrayed, when you see me on trial, when you see me hanging on Calvary, when you see me drugged to an empty tomb, you're going to, I mean to a tomb, you're going to know. You're going to know what this is all about. Peter says, you'll never wash my feet. Lord, this is below you. Boy, that's why Jesus responds so harshly, seemingly. If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And people have tried to dice this up and make it more complicated than it is. Jesus is basically saying here, listen, my mission is to serve you. If you don't let me serve you, you have no part with me. And if you don't catch, if you don't catch this servant master issue, Peter, you're never going to serve me the way I intended for you to serve. You'll have no part with me. I don't believe Peter wasn't saved at this point. I think that's a little stretch here to say this is Peter's salvation experience. I think Peter makes his profession of faith very clear in Matthew chapter 16 when he says, you are the Lord Jesus and, and, and you are, you're the Messiah. And he makes that proclamation clear. Did Peter struggle? Absolutely. Do you struggle? Absolutely. Here's the amazing thing. Jesus is here teaching these men, you're going to serve me. You're going to serve anybody. You're going to serve everybody. And by the way, when I say serve everybody, think of who is in that room. In that room are the 12 disciples. And every single one of them except for John is going to desert Jesus in the next hour. There was a doubter sitting at the table. Remember him? Thomas. Jesus is alive from the dead, and he still doesn't get it. He's like, except I put my finger in his, in his prints, 
in the, in the wounds and stick my hand in his side, I'm not going to bleed. He's sitting there doubting Jesus to the very end. How about, how about a denier? I mean, later on in verses 21 through, uh, oh, no, 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 verses uh, uh, 18 down through 30, he talks about Judas being the, 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 the betrayer. He also, at the end, verses 36 through 38, predicts Peter's denial. Is anybody listening to me? That's why in verse number, uh, let's see, verse number one or two, it so thrills me when I read these words. He loved his own who were in the world and loved them to the end. Hear me, friend. Judas is still there. Peter's still there. Thomas is still there. All the disciples are going to run for fear of their life are sitting right there. And you know what the Bible says? Listen very carefully. Jesus never stopped loving them. Somebody better help me up here. You better be thankful today that when you have doubted and you have deserted and you have denied and you have betrayed, you didn't stop Jesus from still loving you. He just kept on loving, kept on loving. That's actually what it means to serve. You just keep on loving. Keep on caring. Keep on serving. I was thrilled to walk in today. Casey, I'm sorry, man. I was just, I walked in. I I hear somebody yelling my name across the parking lot. And I look, I couldn't even, the sun was in my face. And I was like, who is that? And Casey back here sitting by. Jesse, I mean, honestly, just look at this row, Jesse. I mean, you know, this row right here just to me is this story. I mean, I led Casey to the Lord like six years ago at a Starbucks. Casey caught fire for the Lord. Got distracted along the way here a little bit ago. He came to me today and said, Pastor, I'm, God is speaking to me. I'm back. That's a blessing. God never stopped loving Casey. I never stopped loving Casey. And then I look at Jesse, and Jesse's story is just so absolutely fascinating. Listen, and Jason had joined the church again. I love to hear that. Rejoin. Y'all are missing what I'm trying to throw out there today, I think. I'm talking about a God that never stops loving, never stops pursuing, never stops caring, and never stops serving. And he never, there is nothing you can ever do to make God love you any less. There's nothing you can do to make God love you any more. He perfectly, absolutely, completely, entirely, and eternally loves you, and that'll never change. That's what it means to serve people. You see, here's the thing, man. I'll be honest with you. Pastoring stinks. I'm just going to tell you. It is the biggest pinball machine of emotions that anybody probably could ever go through. No doubt about it. But here's what I've learned. I'm not serving people or loving people for what I get out of it in return. Or even the satisfaction of knowing that everybody I've served and loved always does ultimately what they're supposed to do. My job is to still be sitting on the front porch loving and serving when everybody decides it's time to come home. So friend, I'm here to tell you, there's some people in this room right now, I I read this this morning in my devotions, it said, in, 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 in Lamentations, it said, lift up your hands. Lift up your hands for your children. Lift up your hands for your children. And I don't know who came in and needs to hear this today, but I'm just here to tell you this. Some of you need to get back to lifting up your hands for your children that are no longer at home. 
You done walked into this room thinking that it's over and there's no chance. And I'm here to tell you today, God can rescue your children much faster than they walked off the porch and went off into the far country. And somebody just needs to believe. You know what you need to be doing? I'll tell you what you, you need to stop complaining, stop fussing, stop fighting, stop nagging, stop, stop, stop uh, disbelieving, stop living in absolute fear complete despair and you know what you need to do you need to lift up your hands in the sanctuary and you need to come to the Lord and you need to say Lord I'm lifting up my hands for my children and I'm believing that if God loved Jesus, uh, Judas all the way to the night he killed himself then God's going to love my kids and he's going to want my kids to return and if they'll walk back in they're going to find me sit, come on they're going to find me sitting on the porch right by Jesus where Jesus is sitting tonight having loved them to the end. That is a posture of ministry. Finally, we see that a servant has a spirit of joy. Look at verse 12. So when he washed their feet, taking his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then... Your Lord and teacher have washed your feet. You also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. Nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. Watch this. If you know these things, blessed, happy are you if you do them. It brings a spirit of joy into the heart of a real servant of God who lives... For the smile and reward of God alone. Knowing that ultimately he's receiving the reward of serving his master who always rewards his servants. Hebrews 6 verse 10. For, his, for God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which you have showed to his name. And that you have ministered to the saints and still minister. Ephesians 6 and verse 8. Knowing that whatever, whatsoever good thing any man does... Watch this. The same he shall receive of the Lord. Matthew 6, 4. The alms which you have done in secret, your father which sees in secret, will reward you openly. You see what I'm saying? How can you have joy in this life when all you do is serve? How can you have joy in this life when all you do is serve? Answer, you're looking toward the greater reward. You realize that life on this earth is just a vapor. You realize the only things that really matter in life are eternal. And so you live toward the eternal, turning your back on those things which are temporal. And you're not expecting your applause here. You're looking for your applause there. And happy is the man that serves God. At the end of this life, it will not matter who you were, what you accomplished, or who knew your name. It will only matter who you served and how you served. Let's pray together. I thank God for the spirit of service in this place. And I believe greater days are ahead. Maybe you're here, maybe you're new, maybe you've been visiting, maybe you've recently joined or you're looking to join this church. I want to encourage you, whatever you do, come to be a servant. Several of our members today 
decided I'm going to go to another church just to serve for a day. I love that. Thank God for it. Praise his name for it. Serve him. Serve him. How many of you say, preacher, I needed that today? No doubt in my mind, I needed to be here. I needed to hear that message. God spoke to me. Lift your hand up high and say, I needed that today. Why don't we come today to the altar and say, Lord, I needed to hear that. I want, I want you to know I'm your servant. Maybe you need to lift up your hands for your children. Maybe you need to love on, love anyways, love through, serve. Maybe you're here today and you do not know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Today's the day of salvation. Now's the accepted time. If you're here and you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior today, let me help you. I think we're all home folk here today, but I want you to know that Christ the Lord died, was buried, and rose again, and you can accept him as your Lord and Savior today. I'm actually going to stand right down the front here in just a moment while people are coming to pray, and I'm going to invite you, if you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, to come. Meet me, and I'll be glad to help you find somebody who can take you to the Bible show you how you can be born again by the Spirit of God. So right now I'm going to invite us to stand if we could. Let's close this service in a word of prayer. I'm talking about you closing it in a word of prayer. Would you come right now and say, God, I needed that. I want to pray for those kids. I want to pray for that neighbor. I want to pray for that person I've nearly given up on. I'm not going to, I'm not going to stop. You've not stopped. I'm not going to stop. You want to pray about your own service and ministry to the Lord. I don't know what it is, but let's come. Come on. Let's come to the altar right now. I ask God to help us as we finish this service in a closing word of prayer together.